Hello, Celebration Church. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study, particularly this Wednesday night during the season of Lent. As uh, we're looking at the scriptures, and uh, let's open in prayer, and uh, we'll get into it. Thank you, Father, for your kindness, your grace, Lord, your mercies that are new every morning. We pray, Lord, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you as we open the scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, Bob can hand out the buckets there <laughs> at our uh, <coughs> Green Bay campus. I don't think they do it at the other campuses. All right, so now. We are, what we're doing, for those of you who don't know what we're doing, we are going through the New Testament, starting in the book of Acts, which we have the Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the life of Jesus, and then what happens after that. So as we're going through the book of Acts, every time, right about where theologians believe that Paul wrote a specific letter, we leave the book of Acts, we go to that letter, when we're done with the letter, we come back. So, so far, uh, we've read the uh, uh, Epistle of James. James was the first epistle written in the New Testament, written primarily to Jewish Christians. And you can see that very much when you're reading, just at the beginning. He talks about, he's writing to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. He's talking about the Jewish people who are believers in Jesus. Because in the beginning, they were all Jewish Christians. Uh, the next letter is the letter to the Galatians, which Paul wrote when he was really mad, because this is when the argument starts over whether or not non-Jews have to become Jews first. And he just beats that all to snot in Galatians and says, there's no way. So uh, we go along, and then he writes the letter to the Thessalonians. We finish that, and now we're back in the book of Acts. So far, we have seen Paul take his, uh, he has three major missionary journeys that he takes, okay? The first one, um, he goes down here with Barnabas to this island, comes up here, goes through here, turns around, and just comes right back and sails back to Antioch. That was the end of his first missionary journey. We are now in the middle of his second missionary journey, which this time, instead of sailing this way, uh, he goes up the hard way because he had a big argument with Barnabas. Barnabas goes this way and Paul decides to go this way. He visits all the brothers and sisters here. He had plans to go up into here, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him and leads him this direction. And then he comes around and down in uh, Athens and then Corinth. Okay, so that's where we've been. Uh, we can pick it up again at uh, Acts, the uh, 18th chapter, verse 18. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila, some new people that he found as a, a husband and wife. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centuria, however you say that, which it doesn't show on our map, but it's just south of Corinth. Somebody pointed that out, and I found it today, too. So it just comes down here to grab the boat to go sailing back to uh, Ephesus. We talked about the fact he sh shaved his head because he had taken this vow as a Jew. Paul, for all practical purposes, is extremely confusing to me. Here's a guy who, he is the apostle to the Gentiles. They all agree that his ministers go to the Gentiles. He writes this letter to the Galatians saying, there's no stinking way that you have to do any of this Jewish stuff because blah, 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 and we, all we need is Jesus and da, 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 da. And then as soon as he's done writing that letter, he takes Timothy and has him circumcised, which is bizarre to, to me, uh, except that, uh, and then here he has another vow as a Jew. We explained it last time in this context that Number one, a lot of the Jewish Christians still lived as Jewish Christians. When they said the non-Jewish Christians didn't have to do it, they never said that the Jewish people didn't have to do it. 
So for all practical purposes, as far as we know, Jewish Christians still obeyed the laws of Moses, all the rituals and stuff like that, and worshiped Jesus at the same time. A little complex, but uh, that's what they did. Paul was kind of back and forth <laughs> writing this line. Uh, we read, we snuck ahead uh, into one of his, uh, letter, his first letter to the Corinthians where he says, look, to the Jew, I became a Jew. To the Greek, I became a Greek. Remember when he's in Athens, he preaches a sermon. He doesn't even quote any scriptures. He quotes one of their prophets, or in, in a, not a prophet, but one of their poets, you know, like quoting a song from the Beatles or something, trying to make his, his point. And uh, just to relate to people. He, he, what he was saying is, I will do whatever I got to do to relate to people. You know, obviously within consistency to uh, the gospel. He's not going to become an alcoholic to minister to alcoholics. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, so that's what he does. He's, and you'll see this every once in a while. He'll do one of these things that just seems rather odd, and that's one of them. So he takes this Jewish vow. Part of the vow he's had to have his hair cut off. Nobody really knows what vow that was. It's very similar to the Nazarite vow, except the Nazarite vow required you to be at the temple to do all this. So I don't know what he's doing. Who knows what he's doing? He shaves his head. A lot of people shave their heads. Some of us are almost shaved naturally. All right, so, so then he takes off, he sails, and he goes to Ephesus. Just another sail across here. Come over to Ephesus, and that's where he leaves uh, Priscilla and Quilla. So he sticks them there. He stays there for a little bit, it says. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I'll come back if it is God's will. Back to Ephesus. He does come back to Ephesus, okay? But right there, he says, if it's God's will, I'll come back. And then he takes off and he sets sail from Ephesus uh, and then lands in Caesarea. So this is a long, uh, long boat ride. Ephesus, all the way here, comes down to Caesarea, all right? And then it says he goes uh, uh, up to Jerusalem, greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. It's confusing because they don't look at north as up. Jerusalem is kind of the center of the uh, spiritual world, so you always go up to Jerusalem, whether you're from the south or you're north or whatever. So that's what, uh, for our standpoint, is confusing. He goes up to Jerusalem and down to Antioch. So it's a little confusing, you know. We don't talk that way. We go down to Chicago and up to the UP. All right? So that's, that's the way it would work for us. So that's, that's what happens. So now he's come full circle. Right there is the end of his second missionary journey. We are now finished with the second missionary journey. And then, boom, right away he starts on his third one. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So now, one, two, and now he's going back up here again, three. So he's over here. Uh, hanging out with the, all these believers that he first uh, originally had uh, encouraged in the faith. Now, it's really interesting. The first missionary journey, uh, the Bible says they're just praying and the Holy Spirit says to them, we don't know if somebody prophesies, speaks to, a, I don't know what the deal is. But the Holy Spirit says, tells them, I want you to go on this journey. So him and Barnabas go to it. The second one, it doesn't say that the Holy Spirit told them anything. They just said, let's go back and check on the disciples. I taught about that. Not everything has to be a word from God. You know, you should use your brain and be as productive as you can for the kingdom of God. 
And if God doesn't want you to do something, it's more likely if God doesn't want you to do something, he'll speak up to you. Okay, unless he wants to do something from the middle of nowhere that you've never considered, that's usually when God will speak, which is what happens the first time. They didn't think about going anywhere. The Holy Spirit speaks, okay, there. You know, so, anyway, it's one of my pet peeves, people. God's got to speak to one to go to McDonald's, you know, irritates me. So, uh, <clears throat> so now, the second time, they just go because it seems like the right thing to do. They want to be protected for the kingdom of God. But then the Holy Spirit starts speaking to them about where to go as they're taken off. And now this third time, again, nothing. There's no revelation. There's no spirit of God saying jack to them. As far as we know, it's not recorded anyway. And he just decides, let's go back again and check on these brothers and sisters in Christ. So he takes off again. All three times, it starts here. And uh, ministering to these people in, uh, in Galatia and Pamphylia and Cilicia, all around here. Those fancy words, all right. Now, meanwhile, back at the ranch, all right, the, uh, there's a Jew named Apollos. He's a native of Alexandria, and he comes to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. Now, this all gets in the weeds and gets very confusing to me. And again, as I've told you, when I don't know, I just tell you I don't know. I read the theologians, and they all have different versions of it, which still leaves me in the place where I don't know. Apparently, uh, there was a difference between the baptism of John and being baptized in the name of Jesus, as far as these people were concerned. The ba- I would think it's pretty much the same thing, right? You're repenting of your sins, you want to, and because he's still believing in Jesus. You know, John said, you know, be baptized, and someone's greater than me coming, and he points to Jesus, and they believe in Jesus and stuff, but apparently it's not the same baptism. So here's the knock on, uh, on Apollos. Now, he's a really really smart guy when it says that he's a learned man. He's highly educated and apparently he's quite the orator and he becomes a major player in the first century church. Okay? You got Paul, you got the apostles. And it's interesting. You'll notice you you hear very little about the apostles virtually from this point on. Uh, You know, the 12 apostles what do they do? You have to actually go and look into church history and, and uh, other documents to find out what the 12 guys, well, there's 11 of them. One came into Philip uh, Judas' spot. What exactly they were doing and where they went. It's not really recorded in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, it's all pretty much surrounding the ministry of Paul. So, uh, you know, people who are convinced that, you know, Peter was the first pope and all this other, things, there's like little to zip evidence of any such uh, thinking uh, in the early church. I mean, if anything, you'd have pointed to Paul, but again, it, that's a older Catholic thing that uh, really is not, there's not a lot of evidence to it in here. All right, so uh, he's getting ready now, he takes off. So this guy, Apollos, comes along um, that no one's ever heard of before. He's a great speaker. Uh, it says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, remember, Paul left Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. This guy, Apollo, shows up in Ephesus. He's preaching his guts out, and he's really effective, and man, can this guy preach, and is he smart, and he knows the Bible. Everybody's like, wow, this guy is cool. So Priscilla and Aquila heard about him. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more 
adequately. I didn't know what that means either. All right? Apparently, he must have had just a very rudimentary understanding of Jesus as the Messiah. It's the only thing they can figure here. Just based on that, he's preaching about Jesus and doing it rather effectively. Again, all he knew was about the baptism of John. These guys bring him in. They start explaining to him more about who Jesus really is and da-da-da-da-da-da. Fills in the blanks. Now, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. Achaia is over here. It doesn't say it on my map, but that's what this is here, uh, which is where Corinth is, which we're going to see in a bit because when Paul writes to the Corinthians, right away he starts talking about Apollos because Apollos is one of the yo mama guys there, all right? One of the great preachers. So he goes there. When he arrives, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Again, highly educated. He knew what he was talking about, knew how to make a really strong argument for Christianity, uh, particularly to the Jewish people. All right, so now while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. So instead of this time going way up here, he cuts the and he comes over to Ephesus. And uh, by this time, uh, let's see where we're at. Now I'm lost. What verse was that? 19. There we go. Good grief. My eyes. When Apollos was called, Paul took the road through the interior. There we go. And arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. What disciples? Uh, well, we know that Paul had stopped there briefly, but it was real briefly. He left Priscilla and Aquila there, and surely they were advancing the cause of Christ. We know that uh, Apollo comes in, and Apollos, not Apollo, he's a Greek god. <laughs> Apollo, <laughs> Apollos comes in, and he's preaching, and then he comes in, he sees these disciples, and he asks the disciples, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, man, we never, never even heard there was a Holy Spirit. So who are these guys? I don't know. They didn't have Facebook and stuff where everybody could kind of tune in on the same thing all at the same time. So, you know, very primitive communications. And <laughs> so in the midst of all these guys preaching stuff, here's guys, they're just believers. They're believers in Jesus. Again, I think they had just a very rudimentary knowledge of the Messiah, and they put their faith in Jesus without really knowing much of anything. It's really fascinating. So clearly, these people's lives had already been greatly affected. They didn't know anything about the Trinity. They didn't know anything about really being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, whatever. Uh, and uh, so he meets these guys, and he says, wow, this is great. They're talking. He picks up that they don't quite know exactly what's going on. And he asked him, well, man, have you received the Holy Spirit? He said, man, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. What Holy Spirit? Nobody told him about the Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, well, then what baptism did you receive? And they said, John's baptism. So that, that was the baptism of repentance, which Paul talks about. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, then they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I don't understand. But that's what they did. I would think if you've been baptized, 
you're baptized, right? Uh, but uh, apparently not, because uh, they didn't have the right baptism. <laughs> Yikes. Anyway, so then they got baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. All right, now let's dissect this a little bit. So these guys come, they don't know, again, at what level they were disciples, I don't understand. But they hadn't heard about being baptized in in Jesus' name and hadn't heard about the Holy Spirit and all this stuff. So Paul kind of strains that up, brings them up to speed, uh, and then prays for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Now this, if there is one area of arguing among Christians, especially evangelical Christians, it's over this whole idea of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to have the Holy Spirit? Who gets the Holy Spirit? Who doesn't get the Holy Spirit? How do you know you got the Holy Spirit? All right? Now, all I know is that so far, uh, every time it says somebody received the Holy Spirit, something of a supernatural level happens. Most of the time, but not always. Uh, Sometimes they don't even say what it is. It's just that something really cool happened and people were noticing it. Most of the time it says they spoke in tongues. So that's where you get the Pentecostal argument that if you receive the Holy Spirit, you will speak in tongues. Of course, there's an argument back to that. It says, no, not, that's not necessarily true. Da, 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 da. And everybody has their big arguments and stuff. And I try to stay out of it all. I just, all I know is what the scriptures say. Now, here's the odd thing. Because they would argue that when you get saved, you immediately receive the Holy Spirit, right? It's not like Jesus walks into your heart physically. You die. Something changes you, and it's, it's, you're being touched by the Holy Spirit. Uh, on the other hand, we see usually the apostles went and they laid hands on people to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And then to make things really confusing, there was at least twice, I believe, where people got saved, nobody laid hands on them, and they just started speaking in tongues just like that. So it's so confusing. All I know is generally speaking, what they did is they would pray for believers in Jesus to receive the Holy Spirit. And then something would happen. Now, again, we don't, we're not hardcore Pentecostals, so we don't argue along these lines. Certainly, those who argue harsh the other way, that there's, you shouldn't speak in tongues, are full of baloney. You know, you can't take, there's no way you can say, well, they have a strange argument, which we won't get into. We'll get into it in a little bit when we get to Corinthians. But, uh, uh, is certainly a biblical thing. They would get filled with the Holy Spirit, they would speak in tongues, or in this case, they would prophesy. That was the other thing that it would say. And I think there was once or twice where it mentioned they prophesied, doesn't mention tongues. So, and prophesying means that people just start speaking under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You say, what does that mean? I don't know, have you ever been drunk? <laughs> I don't encourage that. But most of you being from Wisconsin, I assume... There's a high probability some of you have been under the influence, all right? When you're under the influence, you tend to say, I don't know, stupid things, all right? You're not thinking, you're just blending, and, you, and people will actually, you know, don't let, he doesn't know what he's saying, right? She doesn't know what she's saying, she's drunk or whatever, which, by the way, you shouldn't do. So, uh, that's what, now, when they're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, is like, again, now the Spirit of God takes over. And they start saying wonderful, glorious things that's really beyond them. Something special. Uh, where, and I still believe, and I, we believe, 
and, and we'll read about it in Corinthians. We still believe that gift is uh, at work today. Interesting, even a lot of people who don't believe in speaking in tongues, they got a problem with that for whatever reason, still believe in this gift of prophecy, which is this anointed speaking of the Holy Spirit. God speaks to someone and there's something unusual about it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced it where someone spoke to you and you could tell this was, wow, this is really something. We would say that that was the Spirit of God speaking to them. Uh, I don't know if you've ever spoken to somebody and tried to encourage somebody and all of a sudden it's like you're hearing yourself say things you didn't even know. Okay? So, oh, oh no, I never talked to anybody. Well, then that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but assuming you actually step out in faith, encourage people, let God use you, you'll, some of you will actually experience. It's a great thing. And you can tell it's just God moving in people. And you can tell the impact it's having on the speaker and, or, or on the listener because you're really getting to the heart and you're thinking, man, where did that come from? You know, man, I've, <laughs> I've quoted scriptures. I, I didn't know I really even knew. <laughs> and then I go, wow, that was weird. <laughs> I mean, I knew I'd heard it before, but it's like, be able to rattle it off like that. Uh, so anyway, that, so this is what we're talking about. So what is our stand? And we have discussed this for years here at Celebration Church as we've developed, because we're, we're a fairly new church, uh, uh, developing our culture and who we are and what we believe and stuff like that. So here's, here's uh, where we're at on it. Um, we still encourage people to uh, give their lives to Christ, let God touch them, do miracles in their life. We encourage people to get baptized. You say, well, I was baptized as a baby. Well, that would fall under the category of you probably need to be baptized again, all right? And uh, I know some of you don't want it, but get over it, okay? So, uh, uh, and, and where you take it seriously as an adult and you get baptized. And uh, we believe that we need to, as our church, uh, encourage people to come and pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to do this. We haven't done this in the past. We've done it at various times. Some of you have been through the Holy Spirit class where we'll do it there. But uh, uh, when it originally happened, it was on the day of Pentecost. Now, the day of Pentecost is coming up again. I forget whatever date it is. We'll, we'll be pointing out as we get closer. And we're going to have a special meeting that Sunday night uh, uh, where we're going to just talk about these things, encourage people, and have people come forward, and the pastors are going to anoint you, and we're going to lay hands on you and speak in faith over you to receive the Holy Spirit. You say, what's going to happen? I hope you receive the Holy Spirit. That's what I hope happens. Well, what, am I going to speak in tongues? I don't know. <laughs> Are you going to start saying cool things you did not? I don't know. You know, that's kind of up to God. You see what I'm saying? We don't, it's not a litmus test. When you buy a pair of shoes, you go, I don't know, does it have tongues in them? You know, I mean, so who cares? You know, you just get the shoes. So we're going to encourage people, if you've never had that, you say, well, I, I don't know if I've ever, ever had that, then you should come to that service. And let us come and pray for you so that, in fact, we can follow the example in the scriptures. Now you say, well, no, that's not true because some people got it and I know that I got it and no one ever prayed for me. I have no problem with that because we have at least one or two examples of that in here as well. But the preponderance of the evidence is taking people and uh, these, these men would come and they would lay their hands on them and pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Anybody know what the traditional church actually uh, calls today that experience? Nope. Good, good guess, good guess. That most, a lot of you have had. Remember you were, as if you're in a traditional church, Lutheran, Catholic, Presbyterian, whatever, you were baptized, you went through the classes, and you were confirmed. That's what confirmation is. That's what they think. That's their version of this, is that when you're confirmed, 
the bishop, the priest, whatever, prays for you, lays hands on you and sprinkles you with holy water. Of course, then you get saved in spots. But anyway, so they do that at, sorry, I'm just being a smart aleck. All right, so, uh, so that's their version. If you're a Lutheran or anything else, they, they would say, well, we do this. We do this when, uh, um, the, the problem with it, from my perspective, is a lot of all of that becomes so mechanical that you can go through all that and never even know what's going on. A lot of us have experienced that. It's not to criticize them, man. God bless them. Anybody's doing anything for the kingdom of God, we should encourage. And Paul actually talks about this. You know, you don't need to be a smart aleck and just criticize everybody. But having said that, we want to try and encourage people to do things in a way that is meaningful to them and very clear. So we don't call it confirmation. We don't automatically tell young people they're automatically confirmed. A lot of them don't even know what they believe at this point. So that's why we don't push a lot of those hard things on, on young people as they do in traditional churches. We try to do it to adults <laughs> who know what's going on and can make decisions. And so if you have never, as a believer now, you've come, you've gotten serious about your faith, you've asked Christ, you've been baptized, you're doing all these things. If you have not had somebody lay hands on you, pray for you in the name of Jesus to receive the Holy Spirit, we're going to do that. Uh, again, we're not going to sit around waiting for anything to happen. There's some people, man, they do, they do that. It's a wonderful uh, service. You had that great experience. And they don't really notice anything sometimes until weeks later. You know, and they can just start telling. But I'll tell you this. There is a difference. There's a difference between believers who have... What am I trying to say? There's a version of believers that don't actually have this, is what I'm trying to say. Not all believers apparently have this, what we would call, a Pentecost would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Again, they get real intense about it and everybody fights and argues and again, we try to stay out of all that. We try not to be dogmatic about most things, period, except Jesus. We're pretty stuck on that one, all right? But, uh, but uh, so anyway, that's our version of it. You know, we're not gonna yell at you if you don't do it, but I, hopefully you do this because you wanna do it. You know, I... Uh, I, you should be thinking, I want more of God. I know as a young believer, man, I wanted everything. I, I've never quite understood the version of... No, the battery's strong. There, I'm sorry, it wasn't all the way in. Hello. My watch is dinging constantly. Can you hear that? Yeah, you got good ears. This is, this is driving me crazy. I have the attention span of a fly. Really? Yeah, maybe I'm autistic in a lot of different ways. All right, hold it. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Stop! There, I shut it. I got it. I got it. I got it. All right, all right. Everyone stay calm. All right, so here we go. What was I talking about? Oh! I don't understand the version of, a lot of people approach their faith kind of like a, uh, what do you call this, a, a buffet. This is in Las Vegas, they have buffets everywhere. And the thing with a buffet is you walk up and go, oh, I'll have some of that, and oh, I don't really want that, and that doesn't, oh, that kind of looks good. And so, you know, there's people that kind of approach Jesus that way, you know. Well, I, you know, I'll pray, I'll Jesus in my heart, but I don't really want to get baptized, I don't want to get my hair wet, and, you know, I like that. I like the Bible, so I don't want to be praying the Holy Spirit, I'm afraid I might speak in tongues, I don't do that, you know, and just go around sneaking. You shouldn't, I, man, belly up to the bar is what I say. Get it all. Why wouldn't you want everything? Why wouldn't you want all of it? 
even if you have to get your hair wet. I got news for you, it'll dry. All right. Moving on. So anyway, you'll hear me talking about this uh, in the weeks to come as we come up closer to Pentecost Sunday and trying to encourage as many people as come. If they have not had that, let us pray for you. All right, so there was 12 guys that did that. Now, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months. Where? Ephesus. He's in Ephesus. All right, and what is he doing? He's arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate, and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. What is the way? It's Christianity. I don't think they were called Christians yet, right? Uh, they haven't come up with the name Christians yet. So at this point, they're calling the people of the way. So that's what they're called, people of the way. So that's kind of, that's the reference here at this point. So they maligned the way, way being in a capital W. So Paul left them and he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lectures hall, lecture hall of Tyrannus, Tyrannus sounds like a dinosaur. Uh, <laughs> this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So now Paul says he's there for three months, now it turns into two years. So he's spending a lot of time at Ephesus, uh, which will be interesting because one of the letters that he writes is to the Ephesians, and we'll read to the letter of the Ephesians, all right? We read the letter to the Thessalonians. That was because he was there. We're about to get into the letter to the Corinthians, which is really interesting, and then eventually to the Ephesians. So he's, what, all these letters are to people that he ministered to and spent time with and then later wrote back letters to them answering questions that they had, concerns that they had. He'd hear stuff that really bugged him. Uh, he was concerned about He'd write them about these things. Uh, and that's what all these letters in the New Testament is. It's what gives us the structure for our faith. These letters are highly important for us as believers because they answer a lot of questions about how to live out, live out our faith. So anyway, he's there, he's preaching, everybody's hearing about Jesus all over the place. God does extraordinarily, ex extraordinary miracles through Paul. And we talked about this, uh, best as we can tell, certainly from reading the book of Acts, and the way he talks about it later, and we'll hear it again in, 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 uh, when we read the letter to the Corinthians, that there's something unique about how God shows up when you are sharing the good news about Jesus. Something I eventually want to get to, to the congregations on Sunday morning. Start encouraging people. Pray for people that don't know Jesus. You can find out something, something real awful going on for, hey man, let me pray for you. Now, either pray for them right on the spot or let them know we're going to be praying for you. And watch what God does. There's something unique. So what if God doesn't do anything? Well, it ain't on you. That's on God, right? But some of the most unique miracles where God just shows up and does stuff that will actually sometimes surprise you. There seems to be a unique thing and, and how miraculous things will happen when you are presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. Because God wants to prove himself to people, to get their attention. And I'm, I'm serious about this, and, and I'll be encouraging this more in the church, to share with people. As you share with people about your faith and knowing Jesus, look for opportunities. They got a real sick kid, something's bad, they can't find a job, say, man, listen, I'm, I'm gonna pray for you. My wife and I are gonna be pray for you. And, or if you're really close to them, say, man, you might pray for you right now. You know, Most people don't say no, believe it or not. You know, they... Okay, they're a little uncomfortable, but okay. They don't really believe anything at this point. They're, you're getting a chance to present Jesus to them. And then watch what God does. Because I've seen some of the coolest, unique little miracles just when you're presenting the gospel. And we see this because Paul talked about the time he was sick, some of his friends were sick. Like, hey, why are you sick? Some guys that died, 
Where's the miracles? Again, sometimes God will still show up in those situations. We talk about it all the time. We encourage your faith as believers. But there's no way you cannot help but realize and acknowledge there is something unique about the presentation of the gospel and in that circumstance for some reason, well, I know the reason, is God wants to get people's attention. The reason Christianity spread like crazy was not because we had a new philosophy. I love listening you know, on PBS and all these other people and they talk about the history and oh, and Christianity spread right across because there was a unique concept about God and philosophy. That was, man, these guys had philosophies coming out their eyeballs. <laughs> Remember the, Ath- the Athenians? They had so many gods, they made a god that said this is to the unknown god. They ran out of names. <laughs> they had philosophies. That it wasn't Christianity, it was a philosophy. What, what blew people away with Christianity is they would walk up to you, they would share Jesus, you think about it, they would pray for you, and boom, God would show up and do stuff. Holy cow, because that wasn't happening when the unknown god was coming around. That wasn't happening when they talked about, you know, the Greek gods and, you know, Diane of the Ephesians, which we'll be getting into eventually, you know, and all these different deities and all these weird things, man. And people, they wouldn't change the people's lives. About the only way to change people's lives is that it was basically versions of witchcraft and fear and stuff that terrorized these people. And they would try to, you know, go to these demigods and appease, you know, for the misery in their lives. That's not Christianity. Christianity shows up and, and they start praying for people and God showed up. And started changing people's lives. And that got their attention. And that's what happens. Change lives. Miracles happening in people's lives, and that should be the normal, and I just want to encourage you, the more you do this, the more likely you'll see God show up in really amazing ways. Don't be afraid. Sometimes people literally say, well, I, you know, why do I, you know, I'm trying to win to somebody, I pray for him, it doesn't happen. You know, you just leave that up to God. Let's see what God does. He does some really crazy, amazing things. All right, so God did some extraordinary miracles through Paul, it says, so much so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Now, are you getting a picture here? He is so full of the Holy Spirit and he's going around and he's laying on hands on people and stuff, but he can only be so many places at once. So people found out, man, if he just touched a handkerchief, they could take that handkerchief and someone who's sicker than a dog, lay it on him and all of a sudden they were well. That would get people's attention. That's why Christianity spread like crazy. Just the miracles that were happening, this wasn't to just unbelievers or or to believers, devout people that were in situations like that. They knew Paul. They could get a hold of Paul. These are people who don't know Jack. All they know is they're hurting. They're really, really hurting. Some of them physically, mentally, some of them under demonic oppression. Who knows? We all know people hurt in all kinds of different ways. But they'd look for opportunities where God could touch them and they said, this is because of what Jesus is being taught by this apostle and miracle after miracle happened. And again, that's why it kept spreading like crazy. It wasn't philosophy. It wasn't just the idea that there's a God in heaven and sent his son and all that. I mean, that's all part of it. But it was the power of God that showed up. And uh, the church, quite frankly, needs to get back to the basics and encourage more of the power of God. All right, now, some Jews, now, this next verse says, now, some Jews went around uh, driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. Now, again, we don't see a lot of that in this country. There are parts of the world where there are a lot of really dark things, and there's stuff you can't even explain, and people are tormented, and literally, they're just demon-possessed. We hear about really evil people every once in a while, 
but it was much more common. And again, you go to really dark parts of Africa, India and stuff, there's a lot of Aishra worship. You see a lot more of this stuff. And uh, doubt me, take a trip there. <laughs> go to some of those mission outreaches. It's not like going to Puerto Vallarta, I'm telling you, man. This is like serious stuff. And a lot of people were tormented by this stuff. And they had Jewish missionaries. And what these guys did too, even in the context of Judaism, they basically did the same thing. They would go and they would argue with the pagans and would pray for the pagans uh, so they could see that Jehovah would answer prayer and that once they saw that Jehovah was more powerful than their deities, they would convert to Judaism. So even the Jews were doing this because they were still teaching about God and I think God probably still answered prayers for some of these people and just to kind of get their attention, right? I mean, it was pretty cool. So that's what they did. Now, how much effect they were having, we don't know. They certainly weren't having the effect that Paul was having. The problem was to convert to Judaism is very complicated. And that's why the church, thank God, decided let's not do this. Let's just, man, tell people to believe. That's all we gotta do, just tell them to believe. Turn from your sins, turn to God. That's all you gotta do. You don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to go through these rituals or anything else. So that was one of the hindrances with these Jewish guys. So anyway, these guys are going around and they're, they're praying for people and casting out demons, whatever that means. They must have been helping people at some point. Again, just trying to show that there's a God in heaven, Jehovah, who's not one of these demigods who, who is real. So it's fascinating that even they did that. But now here's what they did. They are hearing and seeing what Paul's doing. And Paul is like kicking some serious butt. I mean, you want to talk about, you're in the miracle business? Paul is like the kingpin because stuff is happening and you're hearing all these stories of what we just read here. So these guys said they tried to invoke the name of Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say this, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And they would come out. I mean, that was the power of the name of Jesus. They, they didn't, to them, it was just a formula, right? You know, they're trying to find a formula. And then things would happen because they would put Jesus into their formula. And they noticed when they put Jesus in their formula, even then they had more effect than when they didn't. Again, this is how it changed the world. Now, what we're going to read here is highly entertaining. Here we go. Now, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, were doing this, which I find highly fascinating that seven brothers would actually be working together. <laughs> I just got a few brothers, and they all irritate me highly. All right, so that there were actually seven guys, right? You got brothers, right? You, I mean, you love them, but good Lord. Okay, so these guys are actually working together, Hannah, these seven guys, seven brothers, actually getting along. Praise be to God. And they're doing ministry together, and they're doing this thing, you know, from the Jewish perspective, and they're saying, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, come out of him. So anyway, they stumbled into the situation. This guy's got like a yo mama demon. And we know even from when Jesus was casting out demons, there were some that were much harder. Jesus' apostles were casting out demons, but sometimes they couldn't because they ran up against some serious stuff. And the Lord tried to teach them how to, how to get through that. Anyway, so these guys come to this guy who is like, and you have to understand, someone who's truly demon-possessed is real. I mean, it's really beyond the pale. It's not normal stuff. People say, I think I'm demon-possessed because I have an anger problem. No. 
No, that's not demon possession. I think I have a demon problem because I notice pretty girls. Well, then a whole bunch of guys are demon possessed, okay? I mean, that's, that's, that's not a demon possession thing. Possession means you literally are not in control of your facilities. You have no control. These people, a spirit enters them, or sometimes multiple spirits enter them. And of course, in, you know, it wouldn't surprise me, but a lot of people who are locked up and crazier than the moon are in fact demon possessed. You know, we don't know that for sure, but again, we don't see them because anyone who acts like that, we put them away in an institution so they don't hurt anybody. But it wouldn't surprise me at all that some of these people, I'm sure of it. Absolutely, I don't know if you've ever been to one of these places. It's really creepy. And there's a born again Christian work there, man, it's like, whoa. And people are just doing all kinds of crazy, they're literally tormented and not in control of their facilities. They say, well, isn't that just a mental thing? It could be. I'm not saying everybody who's like that is possessed of the devil. I'm just saying I'm sure some of them are. In my mind, there is no question about that. So anyway, so they come to the sky and they tell, you know, um, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, come out. So it says here in verse 15, one day this evil spirit answers them. He says, remember, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, come out. And the demon turns and looks at him and says, well, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? (laughs) And then the evil spirit jumped on them. This guy, the man who had the evil spirit, jumps on them, overpowered them all because these guys like this tend to be just hyper-filled with adrenaline. Their strength is like off the charts. Uh, He gave them such a beating. One guy beat the crap out of seven men and gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So he rips their clothes off, beating the snot out of them. And they're like, ah, they couldn't stop. They finally, let's get out of here. They all take off. Now, when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. What they learned from this is don't mess with the name of Jesus. There's great power in the name of Jesus, but don't mess with it. Of course, now we live in a culture today where the name of Jesus is a common curse word. You know, so how, how different things are today. But uh, I pray to God at some point we get back to really holding up the name of Jesus in high esteem. By the way, I found a great way to get guys to quit cursing. It's hilarious. Uh, because they're not Christian people and they're not churchgoers. Like when I was at the Super Bowl, you know, there's guys behind us yelling, Jesus Christ, this is God, this is Jesus, that. I turned around and said, man, you guys go to church? And he went, no, we don't go to church. I, said, I don't know, man, you're talking about Jesus and God. I thought maybe, you know, you were church people. And they looked at each other and they stopped. <laughs> Idiots. All right, so. So now, yeah, everybody's not really respecting the name of Jesus, held in high honor. Verse 18, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. They weren't just closet Christians now, they're stepping out. There were people who were kind of believing from a distance, and now they say, man, you know, I'm in on this deal. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly, which is another thing. The reason that so much demon possession and stuff, the dark arts, you know, you know, it's, it's really, you got to really kind of look in the nooks and crannies of, you know, Western culture to find people who are into this stuff. This was extremely common. Everybody was into this stuff, opening themselves up to these demonic spirits and sacrificing things. And I mean, it was, 
the world that these guys are dealing with here is nothing like what we deal with. And that's why there's so much of this weird stuff going on and where the power of Jesus was so evident in that context. So these guys, they get saved, they practice sorcery, they brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. They brought all their witchcraft stuff and had a big bonfire. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, which a drachma was basically a day's wage. Now, if you translate it into days, Context: A day's wage on average in America is seventy dollars. Seventy times fifty thousand is three million, three and a half million dollars. Uh, I don't think that's an accurate translation because we have what they did not have, which is a middle class. <laughs> I'm sure more of these guys, there's closer, more like to a dollar or two. So, but even still, we're probably talking probably a good hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff. It was a lot of stuff, you know, that they burned. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Now. I don't know how many of you guys remember this. Uh, was it the 80s, 90s, whatever? There were guys going around and encouraging young people to stop listening to, you know, uh, Black Sabbath and... Uh, and yeah, yeah, I was all around that backward masking stupidity, which was so stupid. If you ever believe that, don't admit it. All right, because... That was one of the stupidest things. I mean, clearly people not thinking with their brains. But, uh, and I spoke out against it at the time. I thought, for heaven's sakes, all the dumb things, be looking for boogeyman backwards. My argument at the time said, hey, if that really works, then let's put the gospel on backwards. Anyway, the backward masking thing, and you got all these kind of like satanic rock bands. Black Sabbath, who else was there? Was, uh, Iron Maiden, yeah, these guys are real dark, you know. Uh, who's the guy that bit off people's, like Alice Cooper, is that? Bad heads and stuff. Do you know Alice Cooper? I believe is a Christian, claims to be a Christian, and has sent his kids all their lives through a, a Lutheran private school. <laughs> but he still bite off bats and do all that crazy stuff, because clearly to him it was just entertainment, you know, and I don't know, people got issues. So anyway, uh, they would encourage people, all these young people, to quit listening to that stuff, and they would get together, and they would have these big bonfires. I don't know if some of you remember reading this. It was like a big hot, and people went crazy. Does anybody remember why people went crazy? What did that remind them of? Burning books publicly in the square. Hitler. The Nazis. Remember, the Nazis did that. So, we don't do this today. Well, it's in the Bible. Yeah, that was kind of pre-Hitler. You know, you know, don't be an idiot. You know, and these guys, they wouldn't stop. What's in the book? We're gonna do it. Of course, everybody thought they were morons because they were morons to a large degree. Uh, and just people were panicking and freaking out and fear-filled and, you know, all these people having these big, for all they know, they were like, well, cult people and stuff. And all it was was young people say, yeah, I'm gonna quit listening to this junk and, and get more serious about my faith. And they burned it because that's what they did in this thing. But it, all it did was set off an emotional firestorm because it reminded people of Nazi Germany. I think as Christians, we should go out of our way not to remind people of Nazis. Okay, so okay, some of you guys, you come from traditional evangelical church. Something you almost never have hear me do, or we do here. Uh, but actually, I did it on Sunday when we had the kids up here. I said, stretch your hands out to them, and let's pray for them. That's a very common thing 
in churches. Do you know why I don't do that? Because people walk into the church and they see a whole bunch of people going like this. It freaks the snot out of them. I never thought of it until... I have a good friend of mine in Oshkosh. You know, I'm trying to win him to Jesus and stuff. He comes in. He's white as a ghost, man. His eyes. What's the matter? He said, man, what was that? So why's Matt came in here? You guys are all like this, like a bunch of Nazis. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Is it an appropriate thing to lay hands on people? Yes. Is it fine to stretch forth your hands and pray for people? Yes. Why don't we do it much? I don't want to be a Nazi, okay? So I'm just trying to avoid things. Paul said I become all things to all people, right? One of those things is, you know, don't be a Nazi, okay? And let's not stand like this and pray for people. So we don't... <laughs> if you've ever wondered, and now I'm starting to understand this church. All right, so... Uh, okay, where the heck am I? I don't even know what I'm talking about. Okay, uh, uh, verse 21, after all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, uh, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After, that, after I have been there, he said, I must also visit Rome also. And uh, he sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. So it says here, he decides to go to Jerusalem. We think he's going there. He doesn't go right away. It's just he finally decides. I want to go. So he eventually does go, but he stays there for a while. Uh, I guess I'm looking because he's still hanging in, in Ephesus. The other guys, they put him in different places to help the church uh, and minister to them. And he says, I, I want to get to Rome. He eventually does get to Rome, but not, <laughs> not under the most favorable conditions. Because uh, what happens at the end of his third missionary journey, uh, he uh, gets arrested and... Uh, they drag him off to uh, Rome. Where's Rome? Way over here. Da, 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 da. And that's eventually where he is martyred. And uh, so that really, that's his, that's his final trip, the trip to Rome. So already he's now at this point, he, this is where he wants to go. Oh, he's going. But uh, not the way he thought he was going to go. Uh, and it gets, gets a, little, a little sad there. So anyway, um, so, so he sends his helper and he stays there a little bit longer. And then uh, he's in Ephesus and there's this really cool riot that happens. Uh, but, but we're going to break away now because during this period is when he writes back to the guys in Corinth. So we are now going to pause here after reading the letters of the Corinthians. Then we'll go back and pick it up here. We'll see the big to do that happens in Ephesus, the big riot. He eventually comes back uh, to Jerusalem and, uh, and that's where he gets arrested. You don't see, the line doesn't go back to Antioch anymore. He doesn't go back to, to Antioch. From here, he becomes a prisoner and he gets drug off as a, as a prisoner all the way to the Rome. And this is some of the most fascinating uh, writing. Uh, I find in the Bible. Uh, by and large, the Bible, I've, I've told it many times, people say, well, it's just a bunch of stories. If it's a bunch of stories, these are the worst storytellers on earth because they don't give you any detail. I try to bring it to life, <laughs> guessing what was going on. But, you know, this happened, that happened, and that happened. It's like, well, how did that all happen? They don't tell you. They just really don't tell. When we get to Luke, starts giving incredible detail of this trip. 
And it's fascinating, the play-by-play, and they're in this storm. Normally, in the Bible, say, there was a storm, and then they crashed, and then they were on the island. That's what, really, that's normally in the Bible, but not in this one. This one, we get a play-by-play, where they talk about how they're going through, and the, the ground's getting shallower, and they're winding, and the wind's blowing, and they're throwing things off the side of the boat. I mean, it's really fascinating to read. It's not fiction, it's actual history of what happened, but it's great detail, because the writer is there. Okay, at this point, for a while, Luke joins them. We saw it earlier, but now he's not, and then eventually he joins up with them again, and he starts telling it really in fascinating detail. But anyway, so after all this, he's in the middle of his third missionary journey. He cuts through here to Ephesus. He's hanging here, and while he's here, he, all these people are getting saved, and all these miracles and stuff are happening, and he writes the letter to the Corinthians. So we are going to jump over to the letter of the Corinthians. We only got five minutes left, so we'll just get started. This is a, uh, a fascinating writing. So far, the book of Galatians, that was the first letter, we call them books, the letter. The letter they wrote to the Galatians, again, was just he's arguing with these people who are trying to get all the non-Jewish Christians like us to become Jews. He, he just destroys that argument and they stop it and the church rules. We don't have to do that. Praise God. Then his first letter to just normal Christians is the letter to the Thessalonians. Both very short letters. We just went through two of them very quickly. Where he just basically, he's talking about the Lord Jesus coming back and, you know, and, and how God wants to build up their faith and help them with their, their good desires. Remember that I preached for a couple of weeks on the, you know, had a little chart, good, bad, you want the good, okay? That was, we were quoting from Thessalonians. He's talking about that to them. Uh, uh, tells them, you know, look, as Christians... One of the important things is stay away from sexual immorality. We talk about that. And then he goes off on people who are lazy and don't want to work and call them busybodies. And he goes off. So that's basically it. Now we get to Corinthians. Corinthians now is, should be an encouragement to any pastor who gets frustrated in ministry. Uh, because sometimes people are crazy. And they do things that are just... Are just I was just doing an interview this morning on a Christian station in Las Vegas. They're asking me things, and he said, man, have you ever heard anything really unusual, you know, that a couple's dealing with? I said, oh, yeah, but we can't say it on the radio, you know, and <laughs> he starts laughing, because there's, there's all kinds of versions of crazy. You have no idea. The stories I could tell, oh, dear Jesus, you think you're having problems. You don't know Jack, all right? So sometimes, as a Christian, you see this stuff and people doing stuff like, what are you thinking? And so then we read the letter to the Corinthians. Now, this Corinthian church, Paul has been there. We've read amazing things there. Apollos is there. I mean, you know, uh, it, it's, it's an incredible thing. It talks about how the gifts of the Spirit, we're talking about prophecy and speaking in tongues and all kinds of, wait till we get into this. It's really fascinating how a Spirit-filled church is moving in the, and how the dancing hand of God is going everywhere and, and touching people like, but at the same time, they are borderline nuts, all right? First thing he's gonna write about is how they're all fighting over who they think is the most important. And uh, we won't get to it next week. I'll just blabber here for the intro. But uh, where, you know, some say, well, some of the Christians are saying, well, you know, I'm, I listen to Apollos. And others would say, well, you know, I, well, I listen to Paul. And someone else would say, well, I listen to Cephas, which is Peter. You know, I don't know. I know Peter was even around there, so he must have made a pop-in appearance or something. 
Uh, and then other people who are real spiritual, well, I just follow Jesus. You know, so this is like the beginning of Christians fighting with each other. And they're all going at each other's throat. So that's one problem. Another problem is some of the men in church had a problem of, you know, hanging out with prostitutes. That's not good. So he's got to deal with that. Then he talks about Christians that are fighting and they're suing each other, taking each other to court and stuff like that, and he's got to knock that down. Then he's got a problem with people, how they're approaching marriage and divorce, and all this kind of, so he's got to knock that down. Then there's a problem because when they did communion, they turned it into a party. It was like a big beer party where they literally got drunk. I mean, their version of communion was... Man, let's hit, have some bread and some, you know, you know, bratwurst and some cheeseburgers and, you know, let's just fill up them wine glasses and they're just partying. And he's got to say, stop, what are you doing? So he goes on and on as he writes to these people. There's, there's a guy in the church who's guilty of incest. He's having sex either with his mom <coughs> or his stepmom. For my personal sanity, I hope it's a stepmom. It doesn't say. It's just he's doing the wild thing, and it ain't right. And he's in the church, and they're not doing anything about it. What? They're full of the Spirit of God. God's doing miracles, wonderful things. Then you have these guys over here going to prostitutes. This guy's doing this guy's screwing his mom or mother-in-law, whatever. God, I don't know what's going on. You know, they're fighting over here. These guys are getting drunk at communion time. It's like the Wild West. And when I read this, I go, I feel pretty good, praise God, because at Celebration Church, we may have our issues. I don't think we have any of these. So even when I hear your version of crazy, in the context of this, praise God, hallelujah, so... So, I mean, it really, you have no idea how encouraging it is to read, how psycho these people were. And, and then in the midst of their absolute craziness, because I know some of you guys, some of you struggle and you do the, oh, I know we should, we're trying to get it. You know, and I cut you slack. Why don't I cut you? You know, you're not doing this. <laughs> I think we can work through your issues. <laughs> we'll hold hands. Let's, let's get it right. Let's serve God. Let's do it right. You know, and, and, and it's fascinating the way Paul talks about it. If I were Paul, I would just beat the snot out of them. If I find out that some of you guys are stopping off at a whorehouse on the way to church, we're going to have some issues. I am going to go psycho on you. You will absolutely see me lose it, and they'll call the paddy wagon, and I'll go blah, 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 off in the course. Paul doesn't get angry at them. He instructs them which is a lesson for people like me who like to yell at people. So there's, there's, there's something here for everyone. <laughs> okay? So, uh, so that's what we'll do. Starting next Wednesday night, we jump into Corinthians to the wild west of Christianity. And again, if nothing else, I think we'll all feel a lot better no matter how jacked up we are. It ain't this bad. Praise God. All right. I love you guys. God bless you. See you Sunday and next Wednesday. Bye-bye.